Welcome to Building Belonging, a podcast of the New York City Bar Association and its Office for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging. Today it's time for a dose of inspiration because we're talking to a group of young activists who have joined the fight for racial justice and equity. They told us about their journey from the sidelines to the front lines. These high schoolers' age put them in an unusual position, but the challenges they face resonated with all of us. Part of the burden is having to challenge older generations' beliefs and realizing how difficult it is to get through to them, especially when they're your family. These activists from the ABLE Initiative are so centered and so grounded in their work. They gave us a welcome reminder of the essential motivations shared by changemakers of every age and background. At the core of activism is your heart and how much you care about the issue. So if you care and if you like feel something while hearing about all of these things, then I feel like that's the thing you should focus on. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily of the city bar. Here's your host, Tanya Martinez-Galanucci. Welcome back to Building Belonging. Today, we have a really amazing set of guests. And I know I always talk about how excited I am to have whatever guests we're talking to. But today is really special because it's not only excitement. I will tell you that when OD met with this group of folks, who you're going to learn a lot about in just a little bit, we left that session feeling inspired, just really thinking that if this is our future, maybe it's not as bad as we thought it would be because if this is the future, boy, do I want to be part of it. So we are talking with our friends from ABLE. They are young activists who are leading the charge and in these conversations, in their spaces. And I can't wait for folks to hear about who they are and what they're doing. My name is Tanya Martinez-Galanucci. My pronouns are she, her. I am the executive director of the Office for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging. And I'm passing it on to my team. Hello. My name is Angie Avila Lanciati. My pronouns are she, her, and I am the manager of communications and development with the office. And I'm Mary Ellen LaRosa. My pronouns are they, she, and I'm the senior diversity inclusion coordinator for ODEEP. And I'm excited to hand it over to our friends at ABLE. Genevieve, since I have the most correspondence with you, I'll let you kick it off. You can introduce yourself and then tell us a little bit about what belonging means to you. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Genevieve, and I am the Director of Communications for the ABLE Initiative. ABLE stands for Artists for Black Lives Equality. For a little more context about myself, I am going into college as a business major, and I'm aspiring to go into human resources. So I understand the acronym DEI is broken down into diversity, equity, and inclusion. And to me, that just means incorporating people of different backgrounds, providing proportionate and equitable benefits and opportunities to everyone, and ensuring that people's voices are heard and that their perspectives really shape the trajectory of the workplace and the company's actions. I can pass it on to uh, Gaia. Hello, everybody. I'm Gaia Dimitri. I'm ABLE's creative director. And for me, belonging means, at its core, radical empathy and a mutual understanding and acceptance of someone's person. I think even if there are differences or if people don't always see eye to eye all the time, the important thing is to remember that we can be empathetic to each other and that there are things that we can see eye to eye on or share or just partake in mutually in some way. Uh, my name is Shubha Rajagopal 
And I am Abel's director of marketing. And what belonging means to me is probably about knowing that even if people don't personally understand your experiences, they'll be able to acknowledge, hear, and accept them, and that you'll be taken seriously when you share it. Not everyone will understand your personal experiences and what you go through, but belonging means that they will listen to it and acknowledge it and make you feel comfortable in sharing all of that. I'm going to pass it on to River. Hi, everyone. I'm River. My pronouns are they, he, and I'm Abel's Director of Development. I was also a former Thurgood Marshall Summer Law intern with ODU. And for me, belonging means feeling like you can bring all of yourself into a space. So for so long before I found real community like this, I remember hiding parts of myself to make myself more palatable to the people around me. So belonging then meant to curate myself based on past experiences, but belonging now is about being accepted and celebrated the way you are, where you're excited and you're sure of yourself walking into a room instead of being afraid. And I'll pass it to Adele. My name's Adele. I go by Shadra Bruna. And I am Abel's HR manager. And to me, belonging means feeling comfortable with yourself first and foremost. And just knowing that you have a community around you who will support you and listen to you for who you are, what you have to say. And also just extending that same attitude and courtesy to others. Softball question to kick us off. Can you guys tell us about ABLE? What is ABLE? What do you guys do? For sure. So we started ABLE in June of 2020, and our slogan has always been that creativity catalyzes change. What that means for us, and at least in the beginning, we focused heavily on designing commissions and donating all those proceeds to organizations such as Color of Change, the Innocence Project, and LACP, organizations dedicated to fighting racial inequity. And as of this past year or so, we've been pivoting more towards the merchandise approach. So we have launches, what we call them. Basically, we make designs for different products and sell those products and donate those proceeds to organizations, focusing on different causes, but still relating back to the larger goal for racial equity. We started this because we were all stuck inside, obviously, because of COVID. And at least for me, I was not allowed to go out and protest, but I knew that I wanted to contribute in whatever way I could. And I started talking to my friends. For context, we were like a group of high schoolers and we've been friends for a very long time. And we were like, hey, we should do something about this because this is an issue that's so much bigger than us. And we all wanted to help in our own way. So since our conception, we've been able to raise over $3,000 for various charities. We've expanded this team to 30 plus members, and we are currently working with other organizations such as ArtStart to verify community service hours, and we have other big projects going on with them. So really excited to be able to share those in the future. ABLE stands for Artists for Black Lives Equality, and a big part of that was just from my perspective, I'm a Black woman and I believe in the power of youth as much as I believe in Black liberation. And I think it's important to fuel multiple generations of Black power and Black excellence so that the future of our communities can reach its fullest potential. And there are so many young and old, like <laughs> from every age group, Black leaders across this nation that are really just so inspiring to me, but also to all of us in a sense, I think. And I have always wanted ABLE to be a vehicle for supporting the future of Blackness for America. 
and uh, of Blackness in America. And it's just a way that young people who may be feeling like a little lost, but have such great passion. And again, going back to this like empathy, it's a way for them to kind of make an imprint and make their mark and help support a future that betters so many people's lives. For me, I really appreciate ABLE because it has helped me realize like that there are so many more ways to contribute to a movement than just protests, for example, which we weren't really able to do as we were all like 14 and 15 year olds stuck inside. And so this made me realize there are like so many ways to make a change and you can put out information, you can make art that moves people, you can raise money for things. It just opens up activism to so many more people if there are more opportunities to make a change like ABLE. Yeah, I also wanted to add a little bit more about my background. I grew up in Chinatown, so I grew up around people that looked, acted, and talked like me. And of course, I'm so privileged to be able to grow up with that experience because I know that a lot of my peers haven't had the privilege of that sort of cultural immersion. But at the same time, I was not aware of the struggles that other marginalized groups faced. I think ABLE was really important for me to at least be able to get out of my comfort zone and learn how to support others. And as Gaia was saying, just really learn the true meaning of empathy for other groups of people who are not like me. Yeah, especially with ABLE working on the grassroots level with the community, ABLE helped me see that there are people out there who care and are just as passionate about the things you're fighting for. Because sometimes it can feel like you're just shouting into the void, but being here and just being able to speak with people with the events we do and things like that. It's been really inspiring in order to continue. Yeah, for sure. And I think another thing is that we all started this in ninth grade. And I remember when we first started, I felt very unsure. Not any offense to all of you guys and to how far ABLE has come now. But yeah, I think I was very unsure of how much impact we could really make. And I think just pursuing this and seeing it through all the way to now has just really helped me realize that we all have our own capacity for impact and that it's really just up to us. And Abel has just also made me see art as something more than just a hobby. For a long time when I was younger, especially, I thought there was like no in between being like a full-time artist or just like doing it on the side for fun. And Abel just really expanded my perspective on how art could be used beyond those two like mediums. And yeah, I think that's also one of the reasons why I want to pursue marketing and um, really reconsidering um, pursuing art in the future. Thank you all for sharing all of that. And honestly, I feel like we could have a series with you all with the knowledge and wisdom and insight. And I'm sure folks who have listened to this much already understand what I mean by meeting you all and leaving the room feeling inspired and feeling like there's I'm almost I'm not even kidding. I'm like tearing up because to see you all do this when you were 14, when you were 14, like I know grown ass people who haven't done even an ounce of what you have done. So I am just, I'm floored. I'm going to pick up on something that Adele said, and actually, and that Genevieve said, and I want to think about the role of art in activism. And I want to hear your thoughts on that and why this was the medium. You started to touch on it, but I do think there's something special about art. And there's something special about how we use creativity to really bear our souls and who we are. And I just want to hear about your thoughts on that. 
So yeah, for context, the five of us are artists. This was not something that was forced at all. It was, it's all been, it's been a huge part of all of our lives. And I personally think that art is such a universal language, but at the same time, experiencing art is an incredibly nuanced experience. Like it can convey very broad messages, but the details that are up for interpretation, and it's just a very special way of forming connections with other. It can move people. And historically, it has been used in negative ways for propaganda and to perpetuate negative stereotypes about people. But we are trying to use it for positive change instead, not just in the content that we create, but just the fact of using art to contribute to positive change, if that makes sense. Yes, I completely agree. Art is so important for confrontation, both inward and outward. I think art has a really great capacity to make people uncomfortable, which sounds like such a bad thing when I put it that way. But I think in activism and justice and the pursuit of that, it's important at some point to get maybe a little uncomfortable, to be confronting and checking yourself and your your peers, your community, whatever, all around you always. And I think that art is such a universal language and it's so visceral and it elicits reactions. It always has. And I think that within the justice space and the activism space, it's really important that we give representation to important topics that otherwise might be shied away from. And portraying a future that you want to strive for in the diversity sense and in the, in the like legal sense sometimes, economic, whatever it may be, there's a world in activism. Everyone has kind of a belief for the future. And I think art as a representation of that might be not always the most soothing or comfortable experience but it's a crucial one and it's a necessary one. All right. So you guys have already started to touch on this, but I wanted, I wondered if we could explore a little bit more. What has navigating these activist spaces been like for you as young people? Honestly, it has been pretty difficult. And I think we have received an overwhelming amount of support and it's really helpful to keep going to see how many people have faith in you. But there are, are also a lot of people who don't like there have been people who gave us a lot of negative feedback about things being performative or fake in some way or just thought that we couldn't do things yeah it really it's been tough but we've also received a lot of support echoing that because we're a group of high schoolers and we started that way it's been really easy to get overlooked which is why we're so grateful to be given a platform like this to be able to share. Yeah, kind of adding on to that, for my parents especially, like, Abel is very looked down upon. I think, like, people like my parents and I guess in the older generation, generally, I guess, are not fully supportive of the BLM movement for whatever reasons they have. And for my parents, they only seemed happy about it when they talked to my school counselor and they told them that, oh, I guess it's a good thing to have on my resume. And that was like kind of one of the only reasons why they let me continue, which is kind of hard to hear. So I think part of starting this and going through with it as a 
person who is very young, part of the burden is having to challenge older generations' beliefs and realizing how difficult it is to get through to them, especially when they're your family. And yeah, I think youth has often been used against me personally, and I'm sure for other people in this room, in those arguments and in the space for activism and self-expression. Yeah, I also wanted to just add on the fact that as an East Asian woman, there have historically been massive divides between the Asian and Black community as well. And because of that, I've also faced a lot of backlash from my own family. But again, as Adele said, it's about being able to see where they're coming from and understand the faults in their logic and moving forward and understanding the real right thing to do. And we have faced a lot of both personal obstacles, but also, you know, in the nonprofit space as young people, it can be hard sometimes. But there are also, I think it's also very important to stress that there are, are so many people who have driven us and wanted us to learn. And it's kind of a it's kind of a toss up. Is this person gonna be someone who is like, haha, child, or or are they going to want to push you to your fullest potential? And I think we've encountered both, but honestly from an organizational standpoint, the support has been overwhelmingly positive. And yeah, it's, I think it's really important to have partners that also kind of serve as role models and inspiration. And it's allowed us to kind of grow as people too. And I think the volunteers that have been with us for a really long time would agree with that sentiment as well. There's so many opportunities and it's just like the world is kind of yours for the taking. And I think we've learned so much from all of these places and communities, but I think part of us is still kind of wide-eyed because there's just so much more and we're headed off to college now. So it's like the opportunities have never been bigger. And like you guys mentioned, we were 14, 15 when we started this. So now it's just like the, it's like the sky is opening. <laughs> it's just, it's amazing. Before Angie jumps in with the next question, I just wanted to, the teacher in me, I don't know if everyone knows, I was a teacher before I became a lawyer and before I got this gig, but the teacher in me can't help but point out some really important gems that you all just threw at folks. And one is the fact that being of a marginalized group does not insulate you from propagating white supremacy and the very problematic things that Abel is here to combat, right? Internalized racism is real. There are generational differences that are mixed with all kinds of socioeconomic, political, you name it, dynamics that play a role in anti-Blackness and all the isms that we've come to know. And so you can't do this work without being introspective. You can't do this work without doing the work on yourself and hearing all of you and your journeys and thinking about the things that you're thinking about is exactly what we need people to do. It's exactly what we want. Even the older folks, especially the older folks who've never really unpacked their privilege, unpacked their context. And just something that Genevieve said warmed my heart. To, like when you said you grew up in an immersive environment in Chinatown, and that was a privilege, you made my heart sing, girl, because I feel like for my life, when I was your age, when I was 14 and I grew up in the projects in the hood with mostly black and brown folks, no one was going to describe that as a privilege. No one was going to be like, oh, you're so lucky you grew up with your people. But I will tell you, 
I will tell you, I'm so thankful. Not the poverty part, but <laughs> being with my people. I'm so thankful because I went to elementary school and middle school with black and brown folks and with teachers who taught me my true history. We talked about slavery in real terms. We did not talk about the civil rights movement as something that was over and done with and fixed racism in, a, in ways that I know that's taught all around this country. I grew up kn knowing the power of my culture and the power of my people, and I had pride in it. And I don't know that we all get that experience. And you're absolutely right, Genevieve. That is a privilege. That is a freaking privilege to be able to find yourself with your people and find power in that. And so thank you for sharing that. And I will turn it over to Angie. Amazing. I did not grow up with my people, right? So I grew up, I was the, I was a minority in the room always. It, it does have a lasting effect and then you grow up and you like start to digest it. So I want to go back and I just want to go back and touch on your experiences putting together Able and talking about it with your parents. This is, this is the tale as old as times to quote DJ Jazzy Jeff at the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Parents just don't understand. All right. If every single 80s movie is about parents not getting it. And it's always the younger generations pushing forward, pushing forward evolution, essentially. I get it. It's amazing. And with that being said, I know you're all very young. I'm jealous of your youth. But what is your advice to the next generation or anyone looking to be a part of this space? Yeah, I can go ahead and start. So just to talk a little bit more about how I first brought this up to my parents I'm not going to lie, I'm not super proud of it, but I did what I had to do given that I ha I'm an only child and I have parents that are always on my back. So I was like, hey, I want to start this nonprofit. And at the time, there were a lot of news floating around about how these protests were negatively affecting Chinatown. Growing up there, my parents still work there. I still spend a lot of time in the neighborhood and there were stores that were getting completely trashed by protesters. And obviously that's not to blame the movement, obviously not at all, but I framed it more in that sense. I'm like, hey, we need to give back to this community who's being negatively affected by these protests, but also contribute to the change that the protests are aiming for. But at the end of the day, we have since pivoted away from that. And I know that I, the reason why I was doing it and the reason why I not had to lie to them, but had to sort of bend the truth a little bit for them to really even listen. And again, I think, as Adele said earlier, given, oh, this is really great for my like college resume, I had to like really push that to them for them to be able to accept the work that I was doing. And even now they're not, they're honestly not really sure of the work I'm doing. They're like, oh, she's doing something good. She's doing something. We're not sure what it is. But I think as long as the impact of the work I'm doing is felt by the community at large, that's really what matters at the end of the day. In terms of advice I have to give, I would say a few things. So number one, you have to be genuine about what you're doing. You really have to care about the cause because you have to, the passion has to be there. If the passion isn't there, you aren't going to put in the work that is required to see results. And it's going to be the self-fulfilling cycle of, oh, the work I'm doing doesn't matter. I think something else that's been really important to me is having this amazing group of friends supporting me every step of the way. Again, we were friends before we started this and this opportunity, this nonprofit has just brought us closer as friends, as work, as co-workers and things like that. And 
they've been able to step up for me when I really needed the help. And I've been able to cover for them when they needed to step away from the work. Having people that are like real, like sounding boards for your idea are going to give you the most honest feedback has been one of the most rewarding experiences. And I'm so glad to be able to celebrate all of our successes with my best friends. Okay, so one thing that Gino said that was being genuine is so important because it has taken the five of us and our entire team so much work to get to this point. And it's going to continue to take so much work for us to get further or even maintain how far we've come. If you don't really care about it, then you're inevitably going to lose the drive for it. And it is so important to know why you're doing this and what is the driver behind everything so that you never lose sight of your goal and you always want to keep working to it, even on the hard days, even when you're not getting that many sales in your launches, even when all of our ideas for launches are really bad and we have to meet like another time. Even when our meetings are at like 2 a.m. at a sleepover at my house, like we've gone through a lot of difficulties that we just really had to power through. Yeah, I agree so much. At the core of activism is your heart and how much you care about the issue. So if you care and if you like feel something while hearing about all of these things, then I feel like that's the thing you should focus on. It's okay if you don't have the skills yet. It's okay if you don't have much of the knowledge yet, but to trust that you have something there to contribute and to just, it can be a small thing, but we all have to start somewhere. And I also feel like maybe no one knows what they're doing yet. It's been three years and I still have moments where I'm like, I'm not completely sure if this is the right way or the right way to do things, but it's trusting that there will be people there to help you in your moments and to keep an open mind to continually learn because that's what we're all doing. Yeah, completely. Just to add on to that, I think my biggest advice would be just like to not be afraid to question things, like whether that's yourself and like your own beliefs or whether it's other people's perspectives. And don't always feel like you have to be right or that there is one right way to do activism because there's so many. I think Ava was an example of that. And just like to know that even though activism is for other people and like advocating for what you believe in, it's also like just a learning opportunity. So although it's for other people and obviously to uplift other communities, it's also an opportunity to learn for yourself and constantly challenge yourself and grow. Yes, I absolutely echo what everyone else has already said. We all have some unlearning to do and we all have some things that we need to be educated on and nobody is ever done growing in that sense. And there are always going to be the naysayers who kind of question that path and that growth. But if you have a vision, I think my advice would be like, people are always going to be irritating. Just do it. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think especially with touchier subjects, people will come out of the woodwork with their ideas that maybe are in conflict with what you're striving for. And they'll come from places where you maybe never even saw that opposition, where an organization fighting for racial equity and 
racism is everywhere. <laughs> and I think, of course, this is something that we knew going into this, but like some of the opposition we faced has just been out of nowhere. And it's, well, not out of nowhere, but it's just surprising to see just how many people maybe don't have that same vision for the future that you do. And yeah, it's important to just not cave to that. I think, I think I'll be frank. I think a lot of the criticism we have faced has been very anti-Black and very rooted in white supremacy. And I think if we had caved to that, we would have just fallen apart. And we have persevered, I think, in spite of that voice and created our own voice for the future that we want. And I think there's always going to be a little bit of that opposition. Maybe it's unfortunately like the world we live in. But yeah, if you have a vision for the future, just do it. All of this advice is just top tier advice. Literally things that we say ourselves, that the experts say. We follow folks who are in the front lines doing this work and you are on par with the wisdom and knowledge of the academics who have been studying this for decades. It's amazing. And to your point, Gaia, you're right. The racism is everywhere. The isms are everywhere. It was built into our society, right? We're a country of stolen land with stolen people. It will always be the case. And to your point, we're here at the New York City Bar Association. We're the Office of Diversity. For Black History Month, we put out a newsletter just asking folks to reach out and connect with us and think about ways that we can collaborate, think about anti-Blackness, all that stuff. We received hate mail from lawyers and judges. Okay, so I just and I will say it and I will say it every opportunity I get because I want everyone who hears this to know just how pervasive racism is in our society. It is not a thing of the past. It is living and well. And we are combating it every day. And thanks to folks like you, you're finding ways to do this work regardless. And so we really appreciate that. You sparked a, a memory for me when you're talking about how pervasive racism is and all of the isms are in society. And I'm wondering how many of you, our friends at ABLE, have heard the adage, especially when you get more vocal about your beliefs, that you're going to get more conservative as you get older. And I was just wondering if anyone heard that when you guys were, when you were starting or even as you've progressed in your activism journeys, because I know I've definitely, I still hear that from people that I am very close to. And then they hear my job title and they're like, well, maybe we'll take it back. But I think to Tanya's point, where was I going with that? It was good. You'll get conservative as you get older. It's pervasive and it's expected to continue. You're expected to just fall into line and be and have those same thoughts as everyone else. And I can assure our listeners that it does not have to be the way and you can just keep going left. It doesn't stop. I think in the world that we live in, there's just in increased access to information. It is just up to the individual to continue to learn about how deep these inequities go and how we can begin to unroot them. Personally, I've done a lot of academic papers about things such as the war on drugs, inequities in the educational system, not just in higher education, but in primary education. And as I've continued to do research on that, 
that has been a way for me to just learn more about not just statistics, but also individual stories that people have to offer. I also think that we can see the opposite being true as well, where as these generations get older, they also have increased access to information. And I've seen, so I'm uh, South Asian and my whole family has been like, my whole family is South Asian, but uh, people in my generation have started marrying people of other ethnicities and such. And so I've gotten to see like the previous generation, my aunts and uncles, like start to become more open-minded and be more considerate of all these different groups because they had never had exposure to them growing up. Like most of my, most of all of the previous generation and even a lot of people in my generation have grown up in South India. Now the people who have immigrated here and the people who have married people of other ethnicities and backgrounds, there has just been a lot of learning that I've seen. And it really does not have to be the case that you become more closed-minded as you get older. There's never, as Gaia said before, and as River said, as literally everyone said before, you are never going to stop learning. I also wanted to point out that sort of rhetoric can be seen in other places, such as like with anti-trans bills, where it's young kids are too um, young to know about their own genders and sexualities. So it's kind of like another way to invalidate and to just say that, oh, you're too young right now to know about things going on. And I think that also stems from people who are scared seeing now there's so many young people who are learning about things that maybe they don't want people to know about, like learning about history that's oppressed and things like that. Oh. Very good point, River. Extremely good point. And I can't imagine anyone listening to this podcast and questioning the wisdom and knowledge of youth. But with that, I want to give us our final question, which is breaking my heart because it means it's coming to an end. But to the extent you haven't already, I feel like you have given us a lot already. But what is the change you want to see in the world, if you had to describe it in a nutshell? Just to sum it up very quickly, I think the change that I want to see in the world is just more kindness, understanding, and as Gaia said earlier, empathy. I think with the world, we are progressing. And with social media especially, there is so much more access to new information and new statistics. But we need to understand that stats aren't everything. You can look at as many numbers as you want, but there are real people being affected by the inequalities that are portrayed on paper. And as we begin to open our hearts and minds to people and listen to their stories, that is where we see real change occurring. I think I'd just like to see a more general willingness among people to challenge their points of view and just listen to other people with different perspectives. And also just gain an ability to challenge other people's ways of thinking in constructive ways instead of derogative ones. I think we see a lot of things about cancel culture and a lot of discussion just kind of goes straight to insults um, nowadays. And I think I just like to see discussion that is more empathetic and open-minded and peaceful, I guess. I want to see change in my wallet. Sorry. Anyway, swiftly moving on from that. It's a rich. Sorry. It's really easy to feel like you can do nothing. I want to see a change where more people are taking action and thinking of creative ways. Like Abel's whole thing, our motto is creativity catalyzes change. And we feel like, like even coming up with the concept of Abel was a 
pretty creative thing. So like people finding different ways to make a difference and take care of what they're passionate about. Changing your wallet is real. Yeah, going back to the thing about empathy, bias can stem a lot of the times from a lack of knowledge or exposure. So I hope to see a change in education, whether that's in formal school curriculums or more informally people seeking out knowledge and sharing it. Um, I teach a gender and sexuality class. And even though it's small, I've been able to see the impact where it was people learning about these things for the first time. And just through the progression of the weeks, people can have a change in mind. And yeah, it also extends beyond academia because we know there can be a lot of access or barriers to access there. So I guess giving space for people to share their stories and because sometimes changing the world begins with listening. That's so real. I think every generation has gone through a lot, of course. And for us, everyone knows what the past few years have been like. And I think a lot of people also know the pressure our generation was born into in terms of like solving a lot of things and the responsibility being delegated onto us from a very young age, especially in the age of information and technology. And I think combine that pressure with the past few years, I think a lot of us have developed kind of a doom scrolling mindset and the nihilism kind of permeates our generation. But I think I can I try to speak for a lot of us when I say that for me personally, I was, there were periods where I was in that mindset too. Oh, this all feels very hopeless and everything is getting worse. But I think it's so tangible and possible to get out of that. And I think that even if it feels like we don't have a lot of tools in our arsenal right now, I want to see more of us get out of that. And I think that as our generation gets older, that is happening, which brings so much joy to me and I think all of us. And I just hope that happens even more. I think it's so common to just feel pessimistic about it or apathetic at best. And it's easy. It's easier not to care sometimes, but I think as humans and as members of this world we all have a responsibility to and I hope to see even more of a stand in our generation for things that we care about using the resources that we do have even if it doesn't feel like it's a lot it's all a ripple of change well thank you all for being here we are able stands if it's not clear and we definitely need to keep in touch we want to keep hearing about your initiatives your projects and just know you have friends in us. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait for this episode to drop and to see all the things you do in the world because you guys have just brightened my life, like literally brightened my life. So thank you. Thank you all for being here. Thank you so much for having us today. Hi, everyone. It's Angie. Thanks for listening to today's episode and welcome back to Deed for the People.
Instead of our usual collection of deep content for your feed, we're inviting you to join Odeep's February Anti-Racism Challenge for Black History Month. Every weekday during the month of February, we send you prompts, infographics, videos, and more to help guide you through your anti-racism journey. It's like an expanded month-long deed for the people that comes straight to your inbox each day. And this one will help you apply what you are learning so that you can continue practicing anti-racism with intention and attention. There's a link to sign up in the show notes. No excuses. Let's do the work. The February Anti-Racism Challenge is only a few clicks away. Thank you for listening to this episode of Building Belonging. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily of the City Bar. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you listen. Find more City Bar podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, or at our website at www.nycbar.org slash podcasts. Be sure to check out This Lawyer's Life, a professional development podcast where we talk with lawyers about seizing opportunities, learning lessons the hard way, and about what makes them tick. This podcast was produced and edited by Eli Cohen.